Let me invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6. I'm not sure if you've been a part of a church or maybe uh, have heard about a church who had had a pastor who had abused his authority. I know a church uh, of a church from another state that had a pastor who misused the resources that he had been entrusted with as a pastor. Um, he didn't go and spend it on gambling or um, you know, drugs or something like that, but he simply just didn't make some wise choices with the money that he had been entrusted with. You know, I, I would take, see them more as uh, business sorts of decisions. He put the money in, in places that may not have been the best. And in response, the congregation uh, decided to to uh, put their foot down, and the way that they did it was by withholding their giving. Um, but I hope that you recognize that when a congregation does that, that is both a passive way to handle the problem and an unbiblical way. Uh, it's passive because it's not actually addressing what is the issue. If there is a problem with the way that the pastor is teaching, believing, living, spending the church's money, then that ought to be addressed in a biblical way. There's a biblical way to do that. But withholding your giving is not a biblical way to do that. And for them, I think that was a wrong thing. Um, but whether you have a, um, a pastor who is perfect, which you don't and uh, no other church does either, or a pastor who's not very wise with how things are handled, there, there is a bib, there's always, always, always a biblical way to handle conflict. And that's the way we need to do it, not by uh, trying to make a statement by withholding our, our giving. Because that doesn't just make a statement to the pastor. Yes, it does do that. It says, you're not doing something right. We're going, to, uh, we're, we're going to let you know about it. It does make a statement to the pastor, but it's not a biblical way. But, it, but what it also does, which the congregation doesn't often think, this way, but but what it often do, also does is it makes a statement about their belief in Christ and what He's doing and how to handle conflicts. Um, we have been talking about what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, chapter five, verse twenty-five, and we should be walking by the Spirit. It means that chapter six, verses uh, one and following, that we have a war going on inside of us that there is a battle between the Spirit and the flesh. And it means that we are lining up our desires with the Spirit's desires. And we've also seen that living by what, what living by the Spirit looks like, that it doesn't look like a continual practicing of sin like at the end of chapter 5 or, or towards the end of chapter 5. But rather, it, it looks like displaying the fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, it looks like reducing the burden of other Christians. Remember, we talked about last week. Reducing the burden of other Christians by helping to carry their load when, when they are trapped in a sin, for example, but also by carrying our own load, not passing off our responsibilities to others when we should be doing them ourselves. And so that's what Spirit-led life looks like. That's what it looks like to walk by or keep in step with the Spirit. 
to live with the fruit of the Spirit and live by helping carry and bear, carry other burdens and help bear our own burdens. And Paul continues this theme of keeping in step with the Spirit in this passage that we'll consider this morning, and he shows us a few more ways that we can do this. So let me read these few verses, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Chapter 6, verse 6. This is the Word of God. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Or what does it look like in our day-to-day life? And in this passage we see that keeping in step with the Spirit means that we ought to give ourselves to the work that the Spirit has called us to do. We need to give ourselves to the work that the Spirit calls us to do. And we're going to see two main points in this passage. Number one, we need to give ourselves to spiritual leaders. And then number two, we need to give ourselves to all people, especially Christians. All right, so first, verses 6 through 9, give yourself to spiritual to your spiritual leaders. Notice the command in verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Paul said in in 5:25 to keep in step with the spirit. That means bearing their burdens, carrying your own load, verses 1 through 5, but that in no way means that we ought to shrink from our responsibility to care for the needs of the preacher of the Gospel. So he says, yes, you ought to do good to believers. We'll see that in verse 10. But here's a specific way you can do good to believers. Verse 6, do good to your spiritual teachers. So we have a clear responsibility that Paul lays out. In order to understand Paul here, we have to see that there are two parties in this verse. Notice first, the one who is taught the Word, and then at the end of the verse, the one who teaches Him. The one who is taught the Word and the one who teaches Him. So those who are taught have a responsibility in this passage. Now those who teach also have responsibilities. And that's played out or laid out in other portions of Scripture. But here, Paul's focus is on those who are taught the Word. So what is their responsibility? Notice in the verse. It is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. The word share here is the word that means to have in common with. To have in common with. To give. So what are the good things? If if I have a responsibility to give to my spiritual leader, to my spiritual teachers, then what are the good things that I ought to give? him. Uh, some scholars would suggest that this is referring to just uh, generic spiritual things. That is, you know, if we learn something from the Scriptures, we go and tell our spiritual teacher about those good things. That could be what Paul's saying, but um, and, and they, those who believe that way think that the context suggests 
that Paul's talking about simply service to others, like in verses 1 through 5. And therefore, when he's talking about giving to your spiritual leaders, he's talking about uh, giving spiritually to your spiritual leader. That is, uh, serving them. But I would suggest to you that he's actually referring to money. That, that, that Paul is referring to money, and there are cl- plenty of commands in the New Testament to support what Paul, I think, is saying here. And that is that you must support your pastor financially. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, I think that's the passage where Paul says, you know, the laborer is worthy of his wage. And in the context, he's talking about uh, pastoral ministry. He, he obviously, Paul, as an itinerant missionary, is not accepting that for himself. He's not going around collecting money from churches. There's only one recorded time when he does collect money, and that's from the Philippians. But, but other than that, he doesn't want to be a burden to them. But, but when he speaks with the authority that he has from God, he says that your responsibility as a congregation is to provide for your pastor, provide for your spiritual leaders. Now, why would he give this command? And I think you know, those who say that in the context he's talking about serving only, not financial resources, I would argue that, that if we understand the context, he, it will become more clear that he's talking primarily about financial support. Now, think about what's happening here in the churches in Galatia. Right, at, A year earlier, these churches had been established by Paul and Barnabas, Acts chapter 14, and... There, there were, as they went back around, remember they went down from Lystra to Derby, and, uh, and then they, instead of heading back straight to Antioch, they went back up to each of these churches and made sure that, that spiritual leaders were being trained. They were encouraging the believers. And so they, they had established spiritual leaders in the church, and apparently the initial congregation had been giving to these spiritual leaders. But what has happened since then? Well, remember what the occasion for this letter was? Why Paul wrote Galatians? Because you have these false teachers, these Judaizers who are coming in and influencing the congregation in a wrong way, aren't they? They're saying that in order for you to be saved, you have to follow the Jewish customs. And uh, so so apparently this is uh, this has changed the whole complex uh, complexion of the congregation. The Judaizers have become so influential to the churches here in southern Galatia but that the, the church was doing what I began with as an example. They started withdrawing their support from their initial spiritual leaders and started giving it to these now influential leaders, the Judaizers. And that's why in verses 7 through 9, Paul says, you sow you reap what you sow. Whatever it is that you sow, you're going to reap it. If you keep on giving yourself and your resources to these false teachers, God is not mocked. You're going to reap that. It may not be now. It may not be within the next month. But you can be sure that in the life to come, you will reap what you have sown. And so this consequence that the Galatians didn't foresee was that the pastors who are not supported spiritually or financially are going to be forced to make a living somewhere else. And this is going to prove 
detrimental to the congregation's ongoing understanding of the Scripture because now that they're withholding their support from their spiritual leaders, these people are not going to be able to stand up and and speak the truth anymore because they simply don't have the time or the uh, the ability to be able to to hand on the truth to this, these Galatian believers. Instead, here's what Paul wants them to do. Turn back to chapter four. He wants to provide for them. He wants the church to provide for their spiritual leaders. Chapter four, verses thirteen through fifteen. Paul says, "This is how you treated me." When I came to Galatia, you accepted me as if I was a messenger of God. Even though I had lots of things against me, look at verse 13. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? Right? Why well, would have plucked out my eye? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Okay, so so Paul's saying they these spiritual leaders of you may not be the most verbose. Okay, they they may not be able to win debates necessarily, but they are your spiritual leaders that God has put into your into uh, your church to help guide you. And so even if there's some sort of detrimental thing, the, the way that, that's going on in their life, like for me, it was bodily illness, and yet you still accepted me. You didn't loathe me. You didn't set me aside and say, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. Instead, you accepted me. And here's what you need to do. Start accepting these spiritual leaders back, rejecting the false teachers, and you do this. Uh, one of the ways that you do this is through your giving. Notice the motivation in verses 7 and 8. Okay, we'll come back to this idea. I want, I want you to be convinced before you leave that this is what Paul is saying. But, but let me uh, just try to show you how this all works together. Verses 7 and 8. You reap what you sow. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, so Paul gives them the expectation in verse 6. Share all good things with those who teach you. That's the expectation. But he also tells them here in verses 7 and 8 why they must do it. And there are two reasons that I want you to see in these two verses, or or two truths that we can draw from these two verses. Number one, deception can be avoided. Okay, two truths that we need to learn from these verses. Deception can be avoided. And number two, we have to understand the principle of sowing and reaping. Okay, so first, deception can be avoided. Avoided. Notice verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, this doesn't seem to make sense, right? Because if someone deceives me, I have become a victim of their deception. Right? I, I couldn't do anything about it. Could I? But haven't you ever been deceived and afterward you blamed yourself for not detecting the deception sooner? Maybe you trusted someone with your money. Or maybe you trusted your neighbor with your lawn equipment. And uh, and you didn't get it back. 
And what did you say to yourself? I should have known. Right? One Saturday afternoon, a, a lady knocked on the door of our house and we lived in Lincoln Park. And uh, she said that her car had run out of gas and she needed some gas, so she asked if we had any. So I grabbed my gas can and she said, just let me borrow it, I'll bring it right back. And I'm sure you've guessed by now what happened to my gas can. Uh, I was deceived. And afterward, I thought, how foolish was I? How, how foolish of me? Or maybe that, would have, that was Jennifer thinking for me. How foolish of you, right? I'm not sure which one it was. But my point is, is that that deception could have been avoided. I could have challenged her or I could have gone with her, filled up her tank and brought my gas can back. But, you know, Proverbs 14, verse 15 says that the simple person or the naive person believes everything. And so deception can be avoided. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't be deceived. And here's how that applies to what Paul is saying. He's saying we can't be deceived into thinking that God will allow us to continue our whole lives sowing evil and then reaping eternal life. Don't be deceived in that sort of thinking. I can just keep living how I want. I keep spreading the seeds of evil in my life and one day I'm still going to reap eternal life. Don't be deceived because God is not mocked. This is the mindset of the people that Peter was speaking to in his letters. These people were opposing the Christians and they were saying, why should I change the way I'm living? All things continue as they are. That is, from the very beginning, nothing has changed. It doesn't matter how I live. God's not going to judge me. I can enjoy my sin. If God were going to judge me, He would have done it by now. So I can live however I want. I mean, generation after generation, people have lived their lives without being judged by God. So why would God judge me now? Do you remember what Peter's response was? Technically, that's not true. All things are not as they always were from the beginning. There's been a flood. And that flood was a flood of judgment on the people and their sin. So all things did not continue as they were from the beginning. God came and judged those people. They reaped what they sowed. And here's the point Peter's making. That there will be another judgment. This time it won't be by flood, but it will be by fire. But people will reap what they sow. And so don't be deceived into thinking that God's just going to overlook your evil and you're going to end out just fine in the next life. Second Peter chapter 3 is that passage I was referring to. Second Peter 3, 1-5. And so that's why Paul says in verse 7, God is not mocked. You may be able to sow sin for a long time without reaping any negative consequences, but don't be deceived that it will be that way forever. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. God's not going to overlook your sin. Don't be deceived into thinking that you will see the Lord without holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. No one. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can sin without consequence. Don't be deceived into thinking that since God can use your evil to bring about good, Genesis 50, 20, 
then you may as well live how you please. It doesn't matter how you live. God can turn it into good, and He can. And so it doesn't matter how we live. Don't be deceived into thinking that way. So how do we avoid falling into, falling into this deception? And that's the second truth that we want to understand in these verses. And that is, we must understand the principle of sowing and reaping. The way to avoid deception. The deception of thinking that I can do whatever I want and God's not going to, to judge me for it. Because we have to understand the principle of sowing and reaping. If I plant a peach seed... I should not expect a harvest of apples, right? It's a very simple principle from agriculture. But Paul's saying it carries over into the spiritual realm as well. Okay, so let me try to help uh, bring this together. What's going on, the context of the Galatian believers here and, and into what he's saying here. The Galatians have been deceived into thinking that they could withhold their support from their spiritual teachers, and they would still reap spiritual growth. Okay, we're going to withhold our support from our spiritual teachers and still reap spiritual growth. But Paul's saying, if you were not deceived, if you did understand the principle of sowing and reaping, you would understand that your withholding of support is actually detrimental to you and you will reap what you, sh- what you sow. That there is a cause and effect relationship between their actions and their future spiritual well-being. And so Paul's saying, if they obey the demands of Scripture, if the people in Galatia would obey the demands of spiritual, the, the Scripture to give to their spiritual leaders all the good things, verse 6, then they're going to reap the fruit of spiritual blessing both in this life and in the life to come. And you say, wait a second now. Are you telling me that my spiritual life is dependent on whether or not I support my pastor? Well, I think you could probably answer that question for yourself. But let me just talk to you about how vital your pastor is to your spiritual life. The Scriptures call your pastor an under-shepherd, an overseer. In Hebrews 13, Paul commands pastors that they need to, or or he commands believers to submit to their spiritual leaders for they keep watch over your souls. You realize that your pastor keeps watch over your spiritual soul? That he will, I will give an account for your soul? In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul writes to, to Pastor Timothy that he must watch himself and his doctrine. For in doing so, he ensures the salvation of himself, Timothy, and those who hear him. It's true that you ultimately bear the final responsibility for your own soul. And it's also true that I cannot impart grace to you. But there is a sense in which your spiritual well-being The spiritual well-being of your soul is dependent upon my teaching and leadership in your life. That I bear responsibility for your soul. And aren't you thankful that 
that you have someone watching over your soul, especially when you're not. Have there been times in your life like that? Maybe when you were being faithless, when you had turned from God, and you had a pastor, perhaps, at the church you were going to, who reached out to you, who was praying for you, who was encouraging you to do what is right. So, Paul's saying, you need to not withhold your support from your spiritual leader because your spiritual leader is watching over your soul. And, and whatever you reap, you will sow. So if you continually reap this evil action, don't expect to reap spiritual growth or eternal life. Look at verse 8. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption or destruction. So here Paul shows the sowing and reaping principle applied both negatively and positively. First, negatively. It's applied, it's applied to our lives in a, sinful, or in a simple way. If we sow seeds of our sinful desires, then we will harvest a fruit of destruction. And it's not talking about immediate destruction there. And the reason I know that is because the last part of the verse gives the contrast, and that is eternal life. So I think this is probably more eternal results, consequences. If we continually sow seeds of evil, sinful desires, then we will reap final destruction. Now there is a sense in which we reap destruction on this earth as well, but, but maybe you don't fully believe that. That you can continue in your sin and you're going to be okay. But if you think that's just a possibility and not a promise, then let me encourage you to compare two passages of Scripture. Okay, I'd encourage you to write these down. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. The list of vices that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And compare that with Revelation 21, 8. These people will not have a part in the in life in heaven. They will have a part in the second death. It says there in Revelation 21. Notice the types of sins that are listed in Galatians 5, 19-21 and Revelation 21-8. What I'm showing you is that what you sow, what I sow, I'm going to reap in the life to come. Those who sow to their fleshly sinful desires will reap corruption. second part of the verse gives it to us positively. The sowing and reaping principle. It says those who so to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So if you keep in step with the Spirit, you continually follow His promptings for your life, simple obedience, doing what God has commanded you to do, do it in faith, then you will reap, notice the end of the verse, eternal life. But as the Scriptures often do, we, uh, they, they show us that eternal life is not just enjoyed in the life to come. We can enjoy aspects of the eternal life now. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life, that is my sheep, and that they may have it, what? More abundantly. That we can enjoy some of the blessings of our, of our sowing now. We can reap some of the blessings now. Then in verse 9, he encourages them 
to continue even when they're tired. Notice verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And Paul's keeping here with the agricultural metaphor. He's encouraging the believers, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Now, why would the Galatians ever lose heart? He says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Why would they do that? And it's because they had been deceived into thinking that their good was not doing anything, right? So specifically, their financial support for their spiritual leaders was not doing any good. It wasn't providing them with any warm fuzzies spiritually. And so, Paul had talked about you sow evil. There's a deception in the thinking that if we continually sow evil, we will still reap eternal life. But there's also another deception that if we continually sow good, nothing's going to happen. We'll never reap any of the rewards from us doing any good. And he said, don't be deceived about that either. That your, your, reap, or your sowing of good things, of good works, will result in an eternal life. Those who sow righteousness will reap eternal life. And so that's why Paul has to give this exhortation. Don't give up. Even when you're looking at it and it seems like nothing's happening, don't give up. For in due time, notice verse 9 again, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And as the harvest is coming, and at that time you will be able to reap, notice, only if, at the end of the verse, you do not grow weary. Don't be like the farmer who is wearing out because he's only planted a few seeds or only waited a few weeks. He hasn't seen anything happen. Or maybe he's had a, a, a deep freeze that's come. Now he's got to start all over again. Don't give up. Don't buy into the deception that says your good works do nothing. They accomplish nothing. Paul says God is faithful. And when you sow those seeds of righteousness, you will reap eternal life. You can count on it because God is working in that way. So, verses 6-9, through we need to give ourselves to our spiritual leaders. And then verse 10, we need to give ourselves to others, especially Christians. I love how this verse begins. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are the household of faith. I've always taken that to mean as you have opportunity, that is from time to time, as opportunity arises, as the opportunities arise, do good to all people. But that's not what Paul says. He says, verse 10, while we have opportunity, and the word opportunity is the same word in the Greek language that is translated in verse 9 as something else. See if you can find what it is. Can you guess which word it is? Let us not lose heart in doing good for in due opportunity. That's the word right there. Both of those words are the same Greek word. Okay, so what is it? he's talking about the time of sowing. While we have opportunity, while we have this opportunity to sow, do you realize that in a life to come you will not be able to sow righteousness in the same way that you can now? 
Because you will be living by sight then, not by faith. But in this life, you have an opportunity, even though you wear a sinful flesh, you will be able to, you can now sow righteousness in faith that will reap eternal rewards. So while we're in the sowing season, this is what Paul's saying in verse 10, while we're in the sowing time, let's do good to all people. And so we have a responsibility to do good to all people, but especially notice, we have a particular love for believers, those who are of the household of faith. Isn't this how our Savior modeled love? Yes, He loves all people. He provides for them common grace. He doesn't judge them immediately for their sin. He gives them time. He gives them opportunity to repent. He provides them with His Word. Many people, some people don't, but, but, but he, he, there's a common, universal, general love that God and the Savior have for all people. But there's a special love that Christ has for His sheep, isn't there? A love that drove Him to the cross. A love that was uh, compelled Him to lay His life down for us. That's the type of love that we need to have for other people. A general love for all people. We shouldn't withhold good from all people, but, but the primary expression of our love, of our good deeds, should be shown or, or expressed within the household of faith among Christian people with whom you serve. So this is a command. How serious are you about this command? Do good to all people. But notice the word, especially. Not to the exclusion of doing good to all people, but the primary focus of our service, of our good deeds, must be to believers. Listen to one commentator. He writes, Every poor and distressed man had a claim on me for pity and if I can afford it for, exact, for active exertion and pecuniary, pecuniary relief. Have you ever been there? You go to downtown Detroit and you feel like there's so many people that have a, a calling out for your help. They, they, they need help. That's, that's what this writer says. But, he says, a poor Christian has a far stronger claim on my feelings, on my labors, and on my property, because he is my brother, equally interested as myself in the blood and love of the Redeemer. I expect to spend an eternity with him, with that poor Christian. He is a representative of my unseen Savior, and he considers everything done to his poor, afflicted body as done to himself. For a Christian... To be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, but it is monstrous, he writes. Your primary, here's a key word, primary, your primary area of ministry is not to your neighbor, although you should do good to them. Your primary area of ministry or giving of yourself is not to your co-workers. You should not withhold good from them either. Your primary area of ministry is not to your family if you have unbelieving family there or family that's not a part of this church. 
Your primary area of ministry is not to your extended relatives or your friends, although you should not withhold good from them. That's what Paul's saying. Your primary area of giving and service must be to other believers. And here's the best way for you to express that. Among people that you meet with on a weekly basis. Okay? I'm not talking about, okay, we need to find out all the believers in all the world and we need to get money out to them. We need to serve them somehow. You know, We're going to come up with opportunities with that through missionaries and, and so on. But obviously you see that that's not what the Scriptures are talking about. We can't do good to people that we don't know generally. So we do good to people that we know. And here's what Paul's saying, especially to believers. This message is full of very practical truth from the Scripture. And if we've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, then this is what our lives are going to look like. We will keep in step with the Spirit by giving ourselves and all good things to our spiritual leaders, verses 6-9, through but also to all people and especially Christians, verse 10. So, Don't be deceived into thinking that your evil will result in no judgment at all. Because those who continually sow evil, sinful, habitual practices will reap final destruction. You may be able to go on for a long time in habitual sin and not feel the consequences of them. But God is not mocked. Maybe you're not struggling with deep habitual sin right now, but maybe you're struggling with doing good. And you've been doing good for a long time. Maybe for years in this church or in the churches that you've been in, you've been doing good. And you haven't seen any of the results. You haven't seen anything come up from, from, from you doing good. And this passage is for you as well because it says, don't be weary in doing good. Keep on doing it. Because you will reap if you don't grow weary. If you don't faint in the time of trouble. That is, you're sowing through the the difficult times when you can't see the results immediately. Don't grow grow weary in that. Maybe you're tired spiritually. Maybe you're sick of battling against sin and Satan. Maybe you're sick of putting up with other so-called Christians. Let me just encourage you, don't be weary in doing good. Because this passage is for you. Don't give up. God will cause you to reap what you have sown. If you need to be refreshed spiritually, if you just feel weighted down by life as a Christian, then you need to ask somebody to pray for you. You need to, to take some time out. Maybe maybe a, a, a day on the weekend or something. And just reflect on God's Word and His grace in your life. Talk to other Christians about it. Help. We would love to help bear your load with you. You were not designed to bear that load yourself. But most of all, if you are weighted down by life as a Christian, don't give up. Don't give up. Because if you do not faint in due season, you will reap the righteousness that you have sown. We have a limited time, don't we? Our sowing season is not much longer. 
So don't delay in doing good because there will come a day when the harvest comes. And at that time, it will be too late to sow any more seed. We will reap what we have sown. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the example of the Galatians and the struggles that they went through. Probably with a, a motivation to do what was right, but but obviously they had been deceived because they hadn't guarded themselves against the false teachers. And uh, we can begin uh, sympathize with them. We we have felt the weight of life as a Christian, and we've had times where we've considered giving up. We're thankful for this reminder this morning. Lord, I don't know why this passage was scheduled for this week. Perhaps there's someone that's on the brink of walking away from You. pray that You would hold them. pray that You'd use us to hold on to them. To save them from Your eternal wrath by encouraging them and exhorting them to persevere, to continue on, not to give up. Lord, give us the eyes to see, the faith to believe that Your way is true and right. Help us to consider seriously our own conduct because those who sow to evil practices will reap destruction. Lord, give us the grace to apply this passage to our lives this morning and this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.